Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 762 with Donna McGeorge. Donna shares some excellent perspective and tools for how you can take back your time, maximize your productivity, all while actually doing less. So you'll learn, one, why less is often more for productivity, two, the one meeting you should always schedule, and three, how to feel more energized throughout the day. So if you want to check out the show notes, or the links to bits that we've referenced, you can find them over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP762. And if you happen to be at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our goodies like the full text searchable transcripts, every episode tagged by the topic and the competency that we cover, the gold nugget email summaries. It's a bunch of good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's some good stuff about Donna. Donna McGeorge is a passionate productivity coach with modern time management strategies designed to enhance the amount of time we spend in our workplace. Enhance, not increase. With more than 20 years of experience working with managers and leaders throughout Australia and Asia Pacific, Donna delivers practical skills training, workshops, and facilitation for corporations such as Nissan Motor Company, Jetstar, Medibank Private, and Ford Motor Company, so they learn to manage their people well and produce great performance and results. Donna is a captivating, upbeat, and engaging resource on time management and productivity who has been featured on the Today Show, radio interviews across Australia, and has written for publications including The Age, Boss Magazine, Smart Company, B&T Magazine, HRM, and many others. Big thanks to Donna for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Donna. Donna, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks for having me, Pete. Really happy to be here. Oh, me too. Well, I'm excited to talk productivity and your book, The One Day Refund. But first, I need to hear about your coworker, Dear Prudence. Oh, Dear Prudence. So all of our dogs have been named after Beatles songs, but I think this was the one that absolutely nailed it. She's a eight-year-old black Labrador, and even just saying her name out loud, the chances are she'll come here and into this room right now and we'll hear hear a clickety clickety noise on the on the floor so we should be careful but uh yes dear prudence or prue for sure lover mm-hmm. and how does having dear prudence in the mix uh, enhance or detract from your productivity 
don't know that she's a particular factor for either. She's a glorious distraction for times when I need a bit of a break. And she's great for company when I've got my head down getting stuff done. I think probably where she adds the most faith, I was going to be just serious for a moment, be all serious and productivity-ish for a moment. I would say she's a great source of oxytocin because she always makes me feel good and I just love her. Right, I could even get an oxytocin hit just at oxytocin. Sorry, hit happening right now. Thinking about it, so that's always useful in terms of getting your brain function working well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk productivity, and I'd like to ask if you could start us off by sharing one of the most powerful, surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive discoveries you've made about us humans and being productive from your years of researching and coaching on this stuff. The most, I don't know, earth shatteringly, right. reframingly, you know, whatever. That's what we that. want, Donna. Yeah. yeah okay. Bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's that you actually get more done by doing less. All right. And this actually started with a bit of research I did that was based on some work by uh, Frederick Winslow Taylor, who was the original time in motion consultant. Mm-hmm. And he was looking at a study done of, of now, this was physical labor, but the applications are the same. But a bunch of blokes loading pig iron onto railway carts. And he found that those that, uh, it, like, and the regular work day was, you know, nine to five or whatever with a 15-minute break, lunch break, half an hour, 15-minute break in the afternoon. That was the regular kind of routine. But he took a bunch of guys and said, how about we change it up? And he got them working for 25 minutes really hard and then they'd have a 35-minute break and then another 25 minutes and a 35-minute break. And they loaded 600% more pig iron onto the back of the train. 600%. That according to the study. And so, look, I'm not sure that that applies directly to, you know, knowledge workers, but it got me really thinking around what's the what right balance for knowledge workers. And, and there's been some a lot of studies done around there, and it varies from 17 minutes to 25 minutes to 45 minutes around. That's the length of the break that you're talking about there? <laughs> No, that's the length of doing the work and then taking uh, breaks after that. So definitely the work, it's it's true, you know, based on research that if we Mm -hmm. put our heads down and focus for a period of time and then take a decent break, anything from five minutes to 35 minutes, we just get more done. That's right. Well, and it's sort of wild how, I, I don't remember where the research came from, but a number of sources. And one was, I think, software and or video game developers. Like there is a threshold at which you spend more hours doing stuff and it's actually counterproductive. It's like negative <laughs> because like you're, you're making mistakes <laughs> that cause trouble for other people. And, and, and then you're just sort of actually worse off doing the extra hour. It's like, not that you make a little bit of a gain, but you make an actually a negative gain, which is pretty wild. Yeah, that supports everything I've read about it. And we even know it in ourselves, just your average uh, non-video gaming person. So if you're just literally sitting at your desk doing your job, you'll know that if you're trying to do stuff towards the end of the day when you're tired and your, your smarts aren't as switched on, you'll make mistakes and actually make problems for yourself. You mean, it's like step away from the keyboard. Do not send mm-hmm. that email until you've reread it the following morning because we're just not at our best um, when, we're, when we've been doing too much. Mm-hmm. Well, now let's zoom into your book, The One Day Refund. That's a great title. Uh, what's the scoop here? How can we take back time? 
Well, it all, it, this all started, I, I thank you for saying that around the title because I, I like it too, but it all started with thinking about the pandemic and the 2020 and 2021. And I don't know whether you and your listeners would know, but in Australia we had some pretty strict lockdowns. Yeah. And I was at the time living in Victoria that had the absolutely strictest lockdowns in the world, blah, blah, blah. And so many people ended up working from home and this idea that we didn't have to commute each day and so the average commute average is, is around an hour each way. And so five days. You really sell in Australia, Donna. <laughs> oh, well, it's pretty, we're, we're spread out. Like we're a pretty large country, so we can spread out a little bit here. But the idea was that we in effect got 10 hours back. And I kept asking people, what are you doing with that extra time? You in effect got more than a day of refund back. And, you know, when I asked people, what would you do if you had a whole extra day in your week? They usually say things like, I don't know, their, their hobbies are things that bring them joy, spending time with their kids, exercising maybe, some say sleep. But no one says extra email, working on projects, getting 10 dozen more reports, yet that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And so the inspiration for this book came from we've got to find ways to just work a bit better to give ourselves more thinking, breathing, living and working space so we can operate better. Yeah, that's that's really telling. You're right. In terms of, I think we, we often can tell ourselves, oh, I just don't have time for that. And yet here we had a global experiment, you know, in, in which a large population uh, was granted a bunch of extra time. And so, well, now, of course, yeah, and you could make the argument, hey, some people, you know, lost time because now they've got the childcare situation going on. But for some, it's like, hey, before I had to commute, now I don't. But they didn't find its way into their important priorities. That's intriguing. So, Well, there was one story I heard that a woman who had a really interesting take on it. So prior to the pandemic, she had a small child. She'd take him to school and or take him to preschool each morning. And every morning it was an uproar. Every morning she'd get to the kindergarten to drop him off and he'd be clinging to the legs and crying and it'd be all very dramatic. And then when the pandemic hit, she's this is someone who did use her time better. She realised she could walk to kindy And so literally from day one, she walked him in the morning and from day one, no drama. And she realized, I did. so here's someone who flipped it and said, no, I'm going to take advantage of this and I'm going to do it really well. She said she'll never go back to the other way. Mm -hmm. But what she realized was that they were taking a small child pretty much from waking to strangers in a really short amount of time, whereas the walk eased them in, eased the little one in. And so there's, I also hear stories like that too, where people did use that time wisely. That's beautiful. Okay. Well, so let's say that we don't have a situation where commutes just disappear on us, but rather we've got to be a bit more proactive in in recovering, reclaiming that time for ourselves. What are some of your your favorite ways we can go about doing that? So the thing that most people talk to me about is that they're overwhelmed, out of control, and at risk of failing at the important things. And that's because they're not managing their time or energy efficiently. And so one of the first things I say is, well, which is the one that's impacting you the most? And most people will say, thinking space. I just can't think. I feel like I'm being, you know, compressed or whatever. And so I'll say, well, well, the way I start each day is I do a wipe the mind where I write down everything that's on my mind, not just tasks, not to-dos, just anything I'm thinking about. So my mother has uh, no drama, but she's had a recent health issue. So she's on my mind. So I'd write down mum's health, is dad okay, better call my sister. And I write down a whole bunch of stuff. And what that does, and I keep going until literally I check inside and goes, anything else? And this very little quiet voice in the background goes, no, I think you're good. 
Mm-hmm. And so I've got nothing left in my head. And that straight up creates thinking space. As far back as Einstein, we know that he used to make, not, not this exact phrase, but words to this effect, that the human mind's for having ideas, not storing them. And yet we store so much information in there, which makes us feel overwhelmed. So step one is clear out your head straight up in the morning. I thought that was David Allen, but maybe it was Albert Einstein. No, no, David Allen probably said that one. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Einstein said, uh, he was. someone asked him a gotcha question in a lecture one day that said, what's the formula for blah, blah, blah? And he said, I don't know. And the student was like, ha, you're supposed to be a genius. And he said, why would I? hold things in my head that I can easily look up in a book. So oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. So same thing. You're absolutely right. David Allen That's did right. say that. And Sherlock Holmes, he's a fictional character, but that was his philosophy too. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to crowd out my brain with uh, knowledge that's not, you know, super useful to what I'm about. So, yeah. But that's actually whether who, whoever said it got it right mm-hmm. because it is. So it's often our overwhelm is not necessarily because we don't have time, physical time for stuff is that we mentally feel like we're just in a state of overwhelm. And so uh, clearing that up straight away can sometimes create the space for people to focus on what's important. That's great. Well, sounds like a great approach. Any any others leap into mind here, Donna? Oh, I've got a whole book full. All right. <laughs> so the next one would be, I'm a, again, this could come from exposure to a bit of the manufacturing world, but I do love Kanban as a way of sorting. You, you will have easily had people talk about Kanban, I would have thought before where we organize our tasks. So after you've done your brain dump, you might go, what's the, how am I going to organize this? And some of it might form part of your to-do, right? So I love the idea of having um, to-do in progress and done. Now, true Kanban may have more columns in that, but we literally work, do our work in columns. Your to-do list will have most of them in there, but it's the currently doing is the one that I think is where you get the real difference. So there's that, because, if you look at your to-do list and there's a hundred things on it, that's overwhelming straight up. Just looking at it, I feel overwhelmed. Whereas if I go, yeah, I know I've got a lot to do, but right now I'm just working on these three to five things, that reduces again a little bit of that emotional or mental overwhelm. And then we want to keep the done, like, you know, moving things across so that we know that they're done because uh, another mate of mine, Dr. Jason Fox, wrote a book called The Game Changers. And uh, it was around motivation. And he said the two things that keep, in his research, the two things that keep people motivated are purpose and progress. And so making progress visible is a really important part of feeling like we're achieving things. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's true. The third one I'd say, which, again, to people who work in offices, they'll know exactly what this is like. If I'm to cancel a meeting, how would you feel? And a lot of people, when someone cancels a meeting, feel absolutely relieved. They go, oh. I now have a whole hour in my diary that I can just use for myself. And so I would say rather than be at the mercy of someone else cancelling, I'd be booking a meeting with yourself every day. Pick a time. It doesn't matter, but pick a time every day. Book a meeting with yourself so that it's on on busy days you can be looking forward to that time because you know you're going to get a break and you can use that time to just get ahead of the curve, to do the work that you you think is the most important so you can and play a bit of catch-ups. So that would be my three. So wipe the mind, use a Kanban or some kind of system to manage what you need to do with your work and protect some time in your day that's your your time just for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Well, I, you have some perspectives on setting some limits that protect us from overcommitting in the form of five W's. Can you lay this out for us? 
Sure. It's, the five Ws is the old journalistic model for writing a good story. But I think it's a really good way of also thinking about where am I spending my energy and who am I spending it with and on what and why and what's going to be the right outcome for me. So it's it's kind of using it to create boundaries. And so the questions aren't always, you don't have to literally use exactly the questions, but I think just going down those, like, why, why am I spending time with this person? Where am I getting the energy from for this? What is the return on this for me? When is the best time to spend time with other people? It's just really thinking about, I think we spend a lot of time and energy sometimes with people that don't give us a great return, that they end up taking energy away from us. And so just asking some of those simple questions will help us determine, are they the right person for right now for where I'm at? Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm also curious to get your, we talked about the when part of these W's. You are a fan of the the morning or the first two hours of the day. Sort of what's the story here? And can you walk us through how we can make the most of that time? Sure. So the human body has a, a clock or a rhythm, circadian rhythm or a body clock that, that it operates by. And, and in simplest terms, we are designed as an, as an organism to wake up when the sun comes up and go to sleep when the sun goes down. That's how melatonin is produced, which is what makes us sleepy. And then when it stops being produced, it's what helps us wake up. So that's at a very simplistic level. But there's more aspects to the clock. There's certain things that switch on and off throughout the day physiologically. And the thing that was most interesting to me was that we are most mentally alert in the morning up to, say, midday, and we're more physically dexterous in the afternoon. And so what that Hmm. meant to me from a working perspective was we really should be protecting our morning for the work that requires our smarts, our mental intensity, And then for the afternoon, we do the more routine work that doesn't require much smarts that can nearly do without thinking. And so if you think about something like email, it's a really great example where I think we waste our smarts in the morning by doing something that is largely fairly routine. So I know it might make your listeners get like, oh, I couldn't ever do that. But I would say leave your email till after lunch. Scan it if you need to, just to make there's nothing, you know, something super urgent or whatever from someone more senior. But for the most part, leave it after lunch and use your morning to do your creative work, your problem-solving work, the work that you probably hired for, your genius. You do that in the morning then do routine in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so is, is this sort of universal to all persons? I, now we talk about melatonin, I'm thinking, I'm thinking chronotypes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. How does that factor into things? So... About 80% of us are what we would call uh, moderates or early birds. So we are kind of geared that way. And then there's about 20% of us who who um, identify as night owls, a percentage of which are natural night owls for whatever reason, their physiology, their body, their, their chronotype, their body clock is slightly askewed, or they're self-created just through bad habits. You know, they stay up too late. They use technology till the middle of the night, you know. Mm-hmm. They're still running a lot their life like they're a college student as opposed to getting back into some kind of regular rhythm. So it could be a combination of both. But from my perspective, it's the first two hours isn't from waking. It's from when you sit down to do your work. And so if you're a night owl and you don't get out of bed till, I don't know, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, then that might not even be and that might even be too early. And then you probably sit to start your work at, say, about 11, maybe 10 or 11. It's then. That's usually you're at your most alert from that point after waking. 
And so I would say it doesn't matter. But but here's the interesting thing. We're all gloriously, you know, unique individuals. So I'm going to say rather than worry about whether I'm an early bird or a night owl on the first two hours or whatever two hours, I'd say begin to pay attention to when do you feel like you do your best work. So my daughter reckons she's an early bird. She gets up early, but she reckons from 10 to 12 is her sweet spot. I've got another mate who also gets up early. She says two till four is her sweet spot for doing work. So you just figure out what works for you uh, as well. Mm-hmm. All right. And then I'm curious, when we talked about the the Frederick Taylor studies as well as in the video game creation and just the notion of resting and how that's super handy, what are some, we talked about the timing and how it's maybe a little bit fluid, you know, in terms of precisely how long the work interval is, whether it's 25 minutes or 80 minutes or, or, or whatever. But I'm curious to hear when it comes to the refreshing part of things, when you're looking to get that rest and energy boost, what are some of the, the top things you find are super effective for folks? We've got to start by disconnecting from information. So if we go back to David Allen's quote around the human mind is so having ideas, not storing them. One of the biggest mistakes we make is we go from one information producing device, say our computer, our work, whatever, and then we go to another one, which is our phone as we start scrolling social media. And then we may even sit down in front of the television and even put more stuff into our heads. And so I'm going to say, if you really need to take a break, it's remove yourself from information, information input devices, you know, for want of a better phrase. So I'm going to suggest get out for a walk in nature. The Japanese have a phrase called tree bathing. I can't remember the actual Japanese phrase, but it's def- its translation is tree bathing. So get out in trees. Someone actually said that to me yesterday in Australia, went out for a tree bath today. I'm like, oh, good for you. <laughs> so go and just sit amongst nature. The other thing I'd say is particularly in a work day and if you happen to be working from home, it might seem like it's procrastination, but I'm not sure that it is. I think it's actually taking a break. Go and do a couple of household chores. So putting a load of washing on, sweeping a floor, vacuuming, loading up the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, whatever it is, just go do some kind of household chore that is a direct, almost opposite to being information input. You can do that stuff without thinking. And then again, the the third thing around that would be, you know yourself better than anyone. What's the thing that has you feel relaxed? The biggest risk that we have around downtime is our perception of what that means. So some people say it's a waste of time. Any any downtime is a waste of time. Successful people work in the gaps, constantly on. I'm going to say not. The actual successful people, I don't know, in fact, rocket scientists. I just read um, Ozan Barol's book, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Yeah. Yep. Turns out that... uh, Rocket scientists are not always up at blackboards, you know, writing complex formulas. Mm-hmm. They spend most of their time solving problems with leaning back in a chair with their heads behind, hands behind their heads, contemplating the stars and solving problems. So you don't have to be on 100% of the time. So I would say it's overcoming this, you know, addiction to activity. It's overcoming boredom. Yeah. It's overcoming this notion that it's a waste actually downtime is exactly what you need. I think that's well said. The addiction to activity, the boredom, it's, I guess an addiction is a great word because just like if you're addicted to to anything, it's like you have a desire to do something. You're drawn to it. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's tobacco, maybe it's, you know, any number of things. You are, you're drawn to it and yet it impoverishes you. Mm. You're worse off having indulged 
the thing. And yet with information, it seems much more hidden, I would say, in terms of the effects. In terms of, it's not like, oh, I can't get up a flight of stairs, <laughs> you know, because I, I'm winded due to maybe a, a food addiction or, or, uh, or a smoking addiction versus when we go from information, 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 we kind of feel like we're productive. And yet the, the truth of the matter is we are not. So I'm just processing this real time, Donna. <laughs> if addiction is the word, how do we break it? I mean, I guess we can't quite go cold turkey. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta have some activity and some information in, in most of our, our days. In any pro tips on, on strengthening those, those mental muscles and, and bits of resilience to resist that addiction? It's interesting you talk about the mental muscle and flexing and because it's it's a different kind, not a different kind of addiction, it's still an addiction because it's a dopamine hit, which is what we're seeking. It's no different to I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you and my phone is in sight and I see the flash come up and now there's an agitation around, oh, I better check that phone. And mm-hmm. it's not till I check it that I go, ah, then I get that little dopamine hit, right, that goes, ah, good, I, I, I did that. And activity is the same. It's why if you ever watch someone who's feeling bored, they sit in the chair, they fidget, they move around, they, they kind of roll their eyes, they're like twiddling themselves and their leg will be going up and down, you know, mm-hmm. the knees banging up and down as they're feeling agitated. And that's all because they're literally waiting for a dopamine hit. And it's, it's why we use addiction because it's they're, they're activity junkies, in effect. They're trying desperately to get this hit that has them feel better. And so the pro tip is exactly as you say, we've got to just, can we just go a little bit longer? And so in the great wise words of James Clear, I'd be saying begin to time yourself on your downtime. How long can you sit in stillness? And it might be you can you can only go three minutes before you think, I've just got to go do something. Well, yay, next day go for four, five. Just continue to grow your tolerance for nothing. Mm-hmm. And your, trust me, your future self will thank you for that because you're creating a pattern of recovery for your brain. It's like a muscle like no other. It does need time to recover and you'll function better as a result. Beautiful. Well, so we've covered a variety of, of approaches, or of tools. I'd love to hear a, a story of someone who put a number of things together and, and saw a really cool transformation as a result. Sure. Um, look, my favorite is uh, one of my clients, lovely lady, came to me and she was agitated. Smoke, it wasn't smoking on our call, but she told me she smokes, she drinks alcohol to self-medicate. Uh, so busy day, gets to the end of the day, bang, goes down a glass of wine and half a packet of cigarettes. And when she would talk to me, she would talk to me really, really quickly. And I, and I could feel that she's barely even taking a breath. And sometimes she wouldn't even finish it because she really had another idea coming on. This is how she operated. And so the first thing I did with her is said, you know, the, the first step is you've got to stop, take stock and make some decisions. And just those three things, we slowed her down. Uh, I said, you've got to, you know, your calendar, you're going to have to halve the amount of appointments. And there was a whole bunch of things we had to do here. We had to you know, she kept telling me what a great team she had, but then didn't trust them. So we worked at multiple angles. We got her leveling up her team members so that that created some space for her in her diary. So that gave her some, it took away some decision fatigue. I'm sure you'd be familiar with that, get the team to make some decisions. She offloaded some decisions to her family. So she wasn't constantly thinking like she was the one that had to do it. So that gave her some space and willpower to manage some of her habits that weren't so great. For her and you know it's, it, this one is a bit of a um, fairy tale ending with a really Gretchening team she managed to get herself a pay rise and some uh, not a promotion but her job uh, was recognized for the value that she was bringing in so that's 
And that, that all started with a conversation that said you just need to stop. Mm-hmm. You just got to stop and take some breaths because you're out of control, lady. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, Donna, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, look, I, I'd probably say a lot of people who might be listening now might sound like my client that I just had, that, that I just talked about. And I'd say it never starts at the beginning of the day. So anytime we're trying to make changes, take back control, deal with overwhelm, get our life back into some level of measured, frictionless living, it all starts the night before. So my best bit of advice for anyone who's trying to kind of improve aspects of their productivity or their world generally is at the end of the day, stop for about 30 30 minutes to 60 minutes. I call it an hour of power at the end of the day. And I do a bunch of things that are going to make tomorrow morning that much better. So it could be choosing wardrobe. It could be making kids' lunches. It could be traveling somewhere, checking the route so I know where I'm going. I'll even look ahead. Where's the parking where can I park in relation to where I need to go? Just do a little bit of that stuff the night before and that makes the next morning that much better. And that's where you get a real bang for your buck is uh, what do you do in the evening? So that would be my number one tip to leave you with for the moment. All right. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, David Allen's, the human mind is for having ideas, not storing them. I'll go back as far as Benjamin Franklin. And I do like the, a place for everything and everything in its place because I'm a big believer in um, frictionless living. And so most of the time our friction comes from not being able to find stuff. So if we have a space for stuff, we're more likely to be successful. So there'd be a couple of others. Mm -hmm. And a favorite study? The work of Francesco Cirillo, who did all the work around Pomodoro. He did a bunch of work around trying to figure out what is that optimal time, you know, and he discovered 25 minutes on five minute break. Uh, So I love Francesco Cirillo's stuff too. And a favorite book? Well, I'm going to have to go with Stephen King. I'm a huge fan of Stephen King for, for a number of reasons. Probably The Stand is my favorite of his books. But I also love his nonfiction piece on called On Writing because uh, I also quite like, as, as, as a writer, I aspire to his ethic around how he does his work. Mm-hmm. And a favorite tool, something you use to help you be awesome at your job. I love my new Remarkable notepad it's the electronic notebook it's it literally sits right here i love it uh because i used to i love notebooks i'm a stationary junkie so i always had notebooks and things but i just found my information was spread out all over the place and now it's all in one place and it stinks so if i lose it i'm still good so yeah i'd have to say my remarkable all right and a favorite habit i think the wipe the mind every morning get up just empty out the head of what's happening so that i'm clear-headed for whatever i need to do heading into the day and when you empty out your head was it emptied into note cards, a tablet? Just a piece of paper. Okay. Well, I do a pen and paper Remarkable. for that because mm-hmm. I don't need to keep that. That's not for anything other than just emptying it out. So I'll go through it and check and okay. put it into to-do lists, et cetera. But no, it doesn't need to be anything fancy for that. It's just get it out of your head. All right. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. I think that your future self will thank you stuff. It's around what are the, what are the things I'm doing now that just make my life easier a little bit down the track. So that's probably one. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? www.donnamcgeorge.com or www.theproductivitycoach.com.au. Okay. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would just say, 
you know, stop and get out of default mode. So too often we get onto a cycle of we just do things out of habit. I'd love you just to stop and think and make conscious decisions about actions you're taking, meetings you're accepting, activity that you're doing, and is that the right thing for you to be doing in that moment? All right, Donna, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you all the best with your one-day refund. Thanks so much, Pete. Thanks for having me. I said it during the interview, but it's really stuck with me in the days that have passed. The notion of I don't have time and the time refund is really striking. Like when another chunk of time just happens, like a commute is eliminated or a meeting is eliminated, what happens with our time? Where do we pour it in? And to what extent is I don't have time valid versus something we can really scrutinize and be a little bit challenging with ourselves and saying, hmm, is that so? And how might I make time if I had to? Great stuff from Donna. Again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP762. Hope to catch you next time. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.